Before we start the show, I'd like to talk about a couple Montana businesses who have sponsored this episode of I Speak Dead People. First up, we have Full Bushel Farm, a flower subscription service as well as self-care and other floral goodies located in Missoula, Montana and their surrounding areas. My girl Amy is the incredibly talented farmer florist behind Full Bushel Farm, and you will find her at local markets selling her sustainably grown bouquets, dried arrangements, and self-care necessities like her sugar scrub and rosehip face oil, which is just amazing, added to my face masks. During the months of June through September, you can sign up for a bouquet subscription service as well, and I cannot wait for these to liven my countertops and lift my spirits when I look at them. You can also book Full Bushel Farm for your wedding and event floral needs, and she has openings for the 2021 season ahead. If you are not located in Missoula or surrounding areas, her oils and dried arrangements ship nationwide, and she has plenty of other goodies to check out on her website. With my promo code ISDP, P-O-D, you will receive 10% off the entire website at fullbushelfarm.com and you'll be supporting a Montana business owner. Spring is here and let Amy at Full Bushel Farm ring it in with all she has going on there. Speaking of Montana business owners, I know a couple of gals in the northeast corner of Montana at Thistle and Thread Boutique. Thistle and Thread is a classic and eclectic men's and women's clothing store, which can also be found online at thistleandthreadboutique.com. They're always adding more styles and fits to accommodate the season, and I know I'm hoping to come out of this quarantine looking better than I did going in, and I know they have my back. They just added these new high-rise shorts and spring cardigans that go together so well. I have high hopes for this spring and summer, and it's going to feel great in some new threads. Check out thistleandthreadboutique.com and use my promo code ISDP for 10% off at checkout. Look in the episode description for the links and promo codes, and I truly believe in both of these businesses, so take a look for yourselves. And now here we go. Welcome. It's Sarah Bolstead and you are listening to this week's episode of I Speak Dead People. Welcome back all my regular listeners. I appreciate all of you and I also appreciate the new ones. So thanks guys. I feel like we're growing. The audience is definitely growing. And if it is your first time and you're kind of nervous about it and you think it's going to be a big old cry fest, well, it's not. So, well, I hope it's not, but that's not what we're here for. So I hope this brings you some relief in such a difficult subject. If you'd like to put some faces to the names and places that we talk about in these episodes, check me out on Facebook and Instagram at I Speak Dead People Podcast. I know I'm posting stuff on there just so you feel like you know these people now. So check them out and then check out ispeakdeadpeople.com. Gives you a little bit about me, about the show, about Whatever, I don't know. Check out ispeakdeadpeople.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Love it. Here we go. So when I moved to Missoula about 13 years ago, there were things that I had heard about one of the high schools here and how it coined the term suicide high. So for this episode, I bring on childhood friends, lifelong friends, and graduates of Sentinel High School Taylor and Ryan. And you might recognize Ryan from season two. He's actually my first returning guest, but he had briefly discussed 
suicide high. And I thought, you know what, wait, we're going to bring this. We're going to talk about this at a later date. And right now it just felt like the time was right. And before we get started too, I'm just reminding you all that I am not a professional. I don't know if you need to be reminded of that. (laughs) I think it's pretty clear, but I'm not a professional and anything we talk about is public knowledge. So huge shout out to Taylor and Ryan for wanting to do this. I know after we recorded, they were like, we've been friends forever and we've never talked about this very deeply with one another. And my heart goes out to anyone who went to Sentinel High School, and I hope I do you justice. So here they are. This is Ryan Simone and Taylor Prideau. I think we should just, like, get started because that's a lot. Um... It's funny. So there's three high schools in Missoula. There's three. Yeah. You well, both there, went. Well, and there's a cut. There's three. There's three double A schools, yeah. and then there's two. Mm, ca- I don't know if that one's Catholic. Loyola. Are they both ca- was Valley Loyola. Christian. Is that class? Well, it's Christian. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's two religious schools. We got Catholics and Protestants, or yeah. whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And those are pretty small. Like they probably only graduate like 40 or 50 kids in I a class or class more. B. Okay. And we yep. are double A. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys graduated with like four to 500 kids in your grade probably, right? I think there was just under 400 in our okay. graduating class. I yeah. Think. And, and you guys graduated in the year 2010, graduated mm-hmm. from high school. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you guys know each other pretty well. You grew up. We also we went, went to it all. We went to like kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I want to say <laughs> we went to different middle schools. That's right. You went to Porter. Yeah, you went yeah. to Meadow yeah. Hill. Mental ill. Mental ill. <laughs> and oh. CS Porter potty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but both went to Cold Springs because I remember your. I knew that your grandma lived behind Cold Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember kindergarten or like elementary school together? Because I I hardly do. (laughs) I'm so I met my husband in first grade. And I remember I um, we were close growing up and we went to the same middle school. I remember a lot about elementary school. I had really fond memories of elementary school. We're in Mrs. Whitehead class together, right? Yeah. Remember, do you remember the nails on the log? Yeah. Remember that thing? Yes. I never <laughs> told like, on the log. that. For like playtime in kindergarten, they'd just give us a log and like a bucket of nails and mm-hmm. a hammer. And you just hammer nails into this log. And, like when I told my California buddies in college that they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> we did that in Montana. Like it wasn't like a big thing, but like. No, it was just like. Uh, you got like your toys or whatever. And then you had like the log with the nails and a hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like because I like I was talking to Ty about it I was like I don't even remember my first grade teacher's name or kid really? I, oh, really? I don't have one memory of kindergarten and like I had moved like eight times or something by the time I got to third grade but oh. like I couldn't tell you anything I I always say I was born in third grade because that's all I remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny so it always amazes me when people remember like kindergarten and first grade i'm like that's cool <laughs> Whitehead. 
Cause she like, no. right here. Yo, yeah. <laughs> I got in trouble. I was always a kid who like never, I was always very afraid to get in trouble, but I was always, I really wanted to make people laugh. <laughs> and I got in trouble on one of the first days because I put my coat on my head <laughs> and I was like looking around, like I couldn't see anyone. And she came over and ripped it off and was so mad at me. And I remember being like, what? That's funny. I'm making everybody laugh around me. That's What's hilarious. going on, lady? <laughs> What's going on, lady? <laughs> It was wild. One of my um, friend, the first college graduation party I went to uh, at MSU, it was wild because I remember talking to the guy that was graduating, his mom, and I was like, we went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and then lived in college together. And I just feel like that's so rare to have mm-hmm. truly lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I had met people, that had graduated from high school in Missoula and we were friends in college or whatever, running around together. We, you know, I would ask them about high school here. There was, there's Hellgate, Sentinel and Big Sky. Those are the three big schools here that aren't the Christian schools, but, um, <laughs> or, or <laughs> the religious schools, religious, just public schools, not religious yeah, yeah. private schools. Yeah. No one pays money to go to these schools. Let's right. say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But there's like, and, you know, someone like drew a picture of like, well, at Hellgate, you know, you would see someone in a Santa Claus costume playing a guitar down the hallways. It was like the fine arts kids. Like that was like, and then a big sky. Yeah. like, And they had like, what did they have? Like a 57 game football game losing streak at hellgate like they were just terrible athletes Probably said that too. you know what? oh yeah, <laughs> yeah too. they yeah. were i i agree with what you said when at least from like 2006 to 2010 my impression and i think a lot of people's impression was like hellgate was definitely like a fine arts school they, they were the artsy fartsy yes downtown stoner burnouts uh, I'm surprised like I'm surprised they weren't suicide high and that we were right because they were yeah they were they were downtown they just seemed like such a more angsty school if you were to look at surface level yeah like, yes very yeah. very into like they would be they were definitely the people that you would picture going to look for like vinyl copies of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of music like Handle before it was cool yeah they uh-huh. everyone yeah there's a lot of clubs <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, a lot of clubs, after school clubs. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then, like, what was Big Sky like? What was Big Sky like? Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, Hicks. Okay. Yes, very, like, they, which I love that end of town, like, out, yeah, it's, way it's out south, out Orchard Homes area. I love it because, it, yeah, it really does feel like a more rural area of town. Like, like right next to the Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you could look in the parking lot there, you know, just this like hypothetical thing, you know, look in the parking lot there and there's lots of pickups parked out there. Whereas oh. like Hellgate is downtown. And when I, I'm like, there's a high school downtown. Where's the parking lot? Where did the seniors park? It's very fitting for like downtown high school where it's like whenever we go there for an event, it's like, where the fuck are we going to park? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I'm like, well, I guess cars aren't important if you're in Hellgate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those Hellgate kids were already environmentally conscious. Yeah, exactly. Walking and biking to school. Exactly. They didn't need a parking lot. No. And uh, then there's Sentinel. Would you say Sentinel was like the jock school? Like they had a good. We had a good basketball. The, I mean, I guess we were Sentinel was decent at sports, but you know, it's funny. Like 
just thinking about, I don't know, maybe the perception of Sentinel is I think that kids from other schools would say, uh, I've talked to my friends that have gone to Big Sky and I think they thought that kids that went to Sentinel were rich. And I think they thought that kids that went to Sentinel had nice houses and were kind of spoiled and got what they wanted. Probably associated like the South Hills and like Uh Mansion Heights. Mm -hmm. I think there was the reputation of being like the preppy school, which I, I didn't, I didn't really feel that when we were there, but, but also there were like, but we definitely also weren't like into Banksy. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I feel like cars, like there's certain people that like really nice cars and that was like a cool thing. At but it was kind of like that, like to live in the South Hills, like in the early 2000s or 1990, like late nineties. Yeah. I mean, that was like kind of like, that was the thing you thought yeah, South yeah. was like where you wanted to be. And then now it's like the flats. You want to live in the flats. That's where all right. the expensive real estate is in Missoula now. But yeah, yeah so I can see that all the yeah. preppy, preppy folk at, uh, <laughs> yeah. at Sentinel. I think yeah. it was. Like kids that definitely, I mean, just even if they weren't nice cars, like everybody had cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like I ran around with people, you know, one of my roommates in college, she went to Hellgate and then um, she never had a car. She's like a car, you know, I never (laughs) had a car. I ride a bike. I'm like a bike. What do you mean? Like (laughs) she she taught me that you could buy a bike at somewhere other than Walmart. I just thought you bought bikes at Walmart. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know there were expensive yeah, that bikes. Was, <laughs> like, you like something Mongoose other than bikes. a puppy? <laughs> yeah. So I could yeah. see that, like, and, you know, with that sort of stereotype of, um, you know, maybe socioeconomically there, you know, there were more people with money at Sentinel, but along with that comes some societal pressures that, you know, there's like this thing you have to live up to as a teenager. Like you have to make it seem like everything's okay. You gotta, you gotta look good. You gotta, you know, kind of put on this whole like persona because maybe you're getting it from your family. Maybe you're getting it from your friends. Um, You know, a lot of that, that comes with a lot of pressure, let's say, whereas like maybe some kids at the, you know, that are at Hellgate aren't feeling that way. I don't know. Maybe this is also in the age of like, I think that when we were freshmen in high school, MySpace came out. Yeah. MySpace was fresh. Oh, yeah. And then like juniors, junior years, like Facebook, Facebook. was like popping. So mm-hmm. it's just, uh, we we're just on the forefront the of not only like, like looking paradigm. good when you show up to school, but what pictures are you posting of your outside lives? I do think and too, that cool. Sentinel like academically topped the state in a lot of okay. categories. Cause I remember like yeah. <laughs> big sky was like at the bottom of the list and Sentinel's at the top, like academically for our school. If you weren't passing, you weren't graduating with your class. From what I've heard, um, a lot of the kids from big sky, like if you weren't passing, they would still kind of shuffle you along and get you graduating on time. Whereas at Sentinel, if you weren't passing, it was like, well, have fun being a super senior. Cause uh-huh. you're not moving along with your classmates. Mm. Yeah. And imagine the amount of pressure you're feeling if you're not, doing well in a class uh-huh. i mean that's the ultimate nightmare sure <laughs> to, right yeah to be in high school another or you know <laughs> oh you're not live kid. up to that standard. <laughs> what what were you guys doing did you guys party in high school you know when did you start drinking when did you start i don't know did I kids smoke say, weed in high school here because yeah. they didn't in my high school <laughs> yeah well, i'm curious about weed. class yeah, i didn't smoke until 
the first time I smoked was senior year. Same. First time I drank was sophomore, like really got drunk was sophomore year. Same. And it was funny, like, cause, uh, my buddy, Justin and I, like, we, I don't, I don't know if we, when we started drinking, we thought it was like the cool thing to like puke, you know, like that was a symbol, like how drunk you are and therefore how cool you are. And like, we would have like three beers and then like make ourselves puke. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> we, your finger down your yeah. We had like one day him and I were hanging out and like, I went to Hoagieville that day and he went to McDonald's. Oh, like Hoagieville has like those ridge fries. And <laughs> we both, we both are like in my garage drinking and we puke. And then like the next morning we wake up and you can see like his, like his straight fry pile and my, like, <laughs> my regular fry pile. <laughs> uh, that's uh, so disgusting. <laughs> I kind of feel like our class was, was, uh, like the party, you know, I, like I definitely, I I say this a lot. I've never drank more than my sophomore year in high school. <laughs> and I think that I started drinking heavily after, uh, Tiff, my friend Tiffany committed suicide. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right after. Yeah. 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 And- I mean, I always wanted to like be involved in whatever parties were going on. Right. Um, but I was always, I- I was very diligent about making curfew. I did not want to piss my parents off. I did not want to get in trouble. So I wanted to be there to be there. I was not, I, I never wanted to be the drunkest one in the room. <laughs> I, and that was also, again, before social media was the way that it is now, we're really lucky that all the dumb shit that we did in high school did not go viral. Yeah. No oh shit. my God. Damn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, when I started drinking to a point where I was like gaining weight from it <laughs> was my sophomore year in high school, which is like was, so young, really. Yeah. But like, I mean, you were, you were an athlete, you were like, you didn't want to be in, get in trouble. And you said that from such a young age, like even when you were in first grade, you were like shunned or whatever for putting a your jacket over your head and it was like your heart was broken you got in trouble you're like yeah. what, what do you mean i'm making people laugh but like yeah. i mean so you you like carried that through uh, your whole life thank you my parents still knew i didn't want to get in trouble but my mom and dad were both very like they drilled it into my head that my car would be they always said your car will be for sale you'll it'll be sitting in front of the linda vista golf course with a for sale <laughs> sign in it if you ever get caught drinking and driving and so uh-huh. they always they drilled it into my head like they they didn't want me to go drink but they wanted me to call them mm-hmm. i i was very mm-hmm. open with my parents like if i was ever in a situation that wasn't things weren't going well i always felt like i could call my mom or dad and they would come pick me up no questions asked like it's not that That's i wouldn't nice. get in trouble and they would yeah. pat me on the back for coming home drunk <laughs> they would still i would still get a speech but they wanted me to feel they, they would rather me call them uh, for them to get me out of a situation than get a call from the cops, I guess. There, yeah. I feel like, like layered into that was like, we had this like almost religious fear of getting like an MIP. Uh, some of us more than others, like I, I know a couple of buddies like had a couple and they didn't really give a fuck, but uh, getting an MIP was like the whole like myth of like your permanent record, you know, like you're, you're like being branded for life. <laughs> the mm-hmm. MIP mm-hmm. was this fearsome thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as much we, I, and I'm sure that's not unique to Sentinel but I remember a lot of like partying was like oh fuck like 
Uh-huh. MIP, you know? Well, at least you knew, like, not to get in trouble too much, but your parents were, like, sticking up for you. But there was a noticeable change after the suicide started happening. Yeah. It started to I, kind of change. Well, it's so weird, uh, even leading up to this, like, knowing that we were going to talk about this. I've been trying to think back um, – on that year and that time specifically to try to, I don't know, see if anything else comes up or kind of hone in on any of those memories. And it's wild what I really mentally blocked out during that time because it was so hard for me. And yeah, that's totally fair to say that leading up to that point, I was definitely wanting to please my parents and coaches and teachers and everyone around me. And my parents did not put pressure on me. I, my parents had me in their early twenties and like the way that I explained it, the stage was set for me. Anything that I said, they thought was hilarious and they, (laughs) they wanted everybody else to see it. I didn't, my parents made me feel like everything that I did was the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, and so I wanted to do well for them because I liked seeing them proud and happy for me, but they never told me that there was going to be any consequences if I didn't play sports in college or if I didn't get a certain GPA. I mean, they wanted me to do well for myself. Um, but that, that kind of pressure, I never felt like, I never felt like there was anything that I could ever do that would ever make my parents not love me or not go to bat for me. I mean, all of that was just what I was putting on myself. I wanted to please people because I liked the way that it felt. Um, And then when Tiffany committed suicide, February of my sophomore year in high school, um, I, I still remember getting the phone call. And I know I talked to you about this too. And we were talking earlier, but that's a very vivid memory for me that I was, I was leaving, um, a basketball practice and my, my best friend from kindergarten, Maddie had called me. Um, I don't even know how she found out actually that Tiffany had killed herself, but I was walking out towards my car and she called me and I answered and she said, did you hear about Tiffany? And I knew it was weird because she wasn't at practice and everyone was kind of like, you know, I wonder if she's okay. It's weird that she didn't show up. And she had actually sent some text messages to some of her really close friends. Um, I don't know specifically what those said, but alluding to, you know, things weren't, things weren't good and that something was going to happen, I think. Um, So people were worried. And then Maddie said she, uh, Tiffany's dead. She killed herself. And I remember just like sliding down the side of the lockers. I felt like I couldn't breathe and that I was going to faint. And I just remember saying like, what, what she, I, it scared me to, because you, when you get that news, you like, you picture the act, or at least I did. I pictured her actually doing it. And that freaked me out so bad. And the first thing I did was called my parents. And so this was also, I had been at school all day. And then I had been at practice and then, um, so my phone was about to die and I called my parents and they, they were out of town. My sister was in middle school and I think they were gone for like an AAU basketball tournament for my sister or something like that. And my dad worked with Tiffany's dad. And when I was younger, 
I played softball and I was on Tiff. I always played with older girls playing softball. So I started playing with Tiffany when I was really young. So I had known her and my dad had known her since she was a kid. And I called my parents and was just sobbing. And I remember sitting in my car and I said, Tiffany's dead. Tiffany, Tiffany killed herself. And my dad, even his voice, I could tell that he was so freaked out. He was so freaked out because they weren't close to me. They like physically, they weren't close to me. They couldn't get to me. And my dad loved her too. He, he had known her from a young age. And I think I looked up to her so much, um, in high school and growing up. And I think that he was really happy that I had someone like that to look up to. Like if your kid is going to have anybody that they're trying to emulate, he was glad that it was Tiffany. I mean, she was, she was incredible. And I, he just always thought that she was an incredible girl. And so, um, yeah, they, I think they were freaked out. And I remember my dad sounding really, really upset and, and freaked out, um, about that. And then my phone died. So then they were really freaking out because they couldn't get a hold of me. Um, but at that point, the coaches had done a pretty good job of, um, getting us all together, like the teammates all together. Um, and it's weird, even when I was talking to my parents about this the other day, they were like, you know, we asked you if you were okay after the funeral and everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And then they were so confused when months later I was acting out and they felt like I was hiding things from them. And I was, you know, clearly coming home drunk, um, on, I don't think during the weekdays, I think it was more on, on the weekends, but just still out of character for me and just not communicating with them. Like I said, my parents were, you know, really open with me, like, just be honest with me and I'll go to bat for you. But all of a sudden I wasn't being honest with them anymore. So they felt like, you know, what is going on? And I remember my mom at one point, she was like, I feel like I don't even know who you are right now. And I finally was like, I'm so sad. My friend killed herself. I'm so sad. Mm -hmm. And I just, it, it sounds so cliche to say like I was drinking to not think about it or whatever. But I mean, I was, I was trying to get fucked up and just party with people and not be sad, but it was making things way worse. Uh -huh. When your coach had taken, you know, your whole team and kind of talked about it. I mean, was there much more discussion after that? <sighs> Did you ever feel like there was ever sort of resources available to kind of talk about it more was, you know, were any teachers or counselors or anyone coming in just to kind of be like, how are you doing? Like, did you feel like that? Or did you feel pretty alone in it? And so you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to drink. I, I feel like, um, they coaches and counselors and teachers and everybody else, they wanted to be a resource, but they didn't want to glorify it. So I remember as a team, we all, Tiffany loved the color orange, like her bat, on her basketball shoes or on her softball cleats or anything. She, um, it, it, there was always orange on it. And so we made these little like orange bracelets as a team. I remember, um, but there wasn't a lot of talk of like, Tiffany was going through this, so, you know, if any of you are going through this, talk about it. It was more just like, we're doing this for Tiffany and we're going to all wear this at the next game or, you know, whatever that, that was kind of it. And then as far as school goes, I think that they, um, 
the administration was kind of thinking we're going to make a space for people to go and be able to talk about this, but we're not talking about it in the classroom, which in hindsight, maybe, you know, maybe they were thinking there's kids that don't want to think about this or talk about this and they should be able to go to school and learn without being bombarded with this suicide talk. But you had to kind of make it a point to like get up and stand up and walk out of class and go seek out a counselor, which also was kind of isolating. Like, are you going to be the person that gets up and has to leave class? And are you attention seeking in doing so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you kind of felt like. Well, you know, and from a girl's perspective too, I think there would probably, you'd get more of a pass to do so. Like I'm bothered by this. I think girls are more, uh, they get more of a pass to show attention to, or to cry out for attention or whatever you want to call it, show emotion. Whereas like from a guy's perspective and why I thought of doing you both together is how interesting it is to see the two gender related outlets that you can have to this sort of stuff, you know, like even, you know, like where's the line between attention seeking and your emotions, but also just trying to get it out, (laughs) you know? And, um, and I think probably everyone in your classroom probably wanted to talk about it to some degree. (laughs) I mean, it's confusing. It's confusing to wrap your mind around, but, and teachers probably wanted to help, but then they didn't know if they were glorifying it, but then just the simple act of being like, how are you doing today, Taylor? Like that wasn't happening either. So then therefore it is like, it's this isolation and this confusion. And, and I think everybody's confused from adults to teens to, I mean, parents, can you imagine parents would be scared to death? Yeah. And it did, it did scare parents to death. My, um, I mean, years later, my sister, she's two years younger than me. She was in a relationship that was shitty and my parents were going back and forth between like, you know, trying to show her that they don't support this relationship, but not kind of cutting her off completely. And I remember my mom saying, well, what if she just goes and kills herself? And I was like, she's not going to kill herself, mom. God. And, but thinking back now, I'm like, you know, I, I have things that come up at weird times uh, because of dealing with these suicides. And, you know, obviously so do my parents. And I just, for the longest time, I completely separated them from it because they weren't her friend or even our our friend Kyle's friend, like that they don't, they don't get the same pass that I do to like have uh, kind of inappropriate responses at times. Like my mom saw me deal with multiple suicides Uh, So of course she's freaked out that if, you know, something went wrong, that that could happen to her with her kid, you know, it's, it it scared the shit out of her. It scared the shit out of a lot of parents. And I, um, I'm reading this book right now and there, it it talks about um, how females specifically are affected by social media and the depression and anxiety that goes along with it. And it's, I wrote this down because I thought this is so crazy activities that have inverse relationships with depression, sports and exercise. Like these are all things that you should do to, you know, avoid depression or anxiety, sports and exercise, religious service, reading, social interactions or doing homework. I can't speak to the religious service as far as Tiffany goes, but every other thing 
She did. Yeah, she was. She was uh, of a high school like peer, a, a role model in that regard. Like her suicide seemed out of nowhere from the outset. Mm-hmm. Like for me, my engage, I, I didn't know her too well, but like just a week or two before we were doing this like jitterbug unit learning to dance in, in PE. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and she, being an upperclassman, I, I remember there wasn't enough girls in this class, and she was, like, nearby, played basketball. And so they, they pulled her in, and, and I met her through, like, learning how to dance. And she seemed so um, cool and happy, you know, like, kind of that, uh, to me, really has it together, like, intimidatingly so, um, cool upperclassman. And, and this was just like a, a week or, or two before the suicide. Um, so yeah. it, it was such an eerie, like out of nowhere, like what the fuck, you know? She was not, you know, it's so weird is like a couple of weeks leading up to her suicide. I remember her MySpace changed. Like the background was very dark. It just, mm. it was weird. Like the setting of I the MySpace yeah. changed. The last time that I ever saw her, we were on a bus ride back, um, from Helena. We had, we had had a basketball game in Helena and she had stood up. We were just like, just pulling into the high school and it was pretty late and the bus, the bus lights turn on overhead. Like it's, you know, we're getting to the parking lot. It's time to wake up anybody who was sleeping. And she was standing next to me and I was just staring at her like every single detail of her. I was just staring at her. Like she had those blankets, you know, that you would take like the two pieces of fabric and cut them and then tie them at the ends. Like she had this blank, one of those blankets wrapped around her. And I was just staring at that blanket. And then I was staring at like every highlight on her head. (laughs) It was so weird. I, for whatever reason, I was just staring at her like it was going to be the last time I'd ever see her just like taking her all in. It was so weird. And I, I, it felt weird even in the moment to do that. Like I'm, I'm looking at someone, like I'm trying to remember this image in my head. And that was, that was the last time that I ever saw her. She totally had a presence about her, Mm -hmm. you know, she was amazing. And I'm not just saying that as, you know, like talking somebody up because of tragedy. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. It's easy to say that in like retrospect and wonder if like, you know, do I just think these things because it happened and, um, yeah. Am I like adding some like sentimental weight to it? But she, she generally was like had a lot going for her. And, you know, we talk about pressure and whatnot, like, um, I'm, I'm, it's easy to speculate that that played into it, but she, from, I mean, my brief interactions was just she was someone you can depend upon as as being this this cool. You you are from a distance excited for her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she played volleyball, basketball, soft, and then in the spring did softball and track at the same time. So yeah, you're right. Like Ryan athlete. said, uh, I'm sure there was pressure. I mean, and and it wasn't like she dabbled in each thing. She was a standout in each thing. Yeah. She was an incredible athlete. She was very smart. She was beautiful. Um, It makes it so confusing. Like suicide is so confusing, but like back to that, the pressure part of it, 
you know, I think a lot of the stigma around suicide is that it's associated with some mental disorder, right? Like the only way you can really understand it. I mean, they must be just so mentally ill to, you know, have these thoughts and all that stuff. Well, I was reading up on like suicide contagion and, um, and teen suicide and teen suicide, I mean, is actually the third, it's the third cause of suicide of teen death among teens age 15 to 24 and uh, the only thing ahead of it is accidents like car accidents and you know so basically you know suicide is taking you before a cancer or some illness is going to take you but they were saying something that contributes to the stigma is that it's this mental disorder right well in all actuality it's academic pressure it's athletic pressure and all the rest of social pressure that comes in high school and so you know when we start saying those words out loud instead of this mental disorder there this mental illness must have contributed to this suicide it's like no what about these pressures and what are other kids what kind of pressures are other kids feeling that might contribute to them committing suicide as well because this became a contagious i mean there was almost suicide to epidemic proportions at sentinel high school from the year 2002 to 2003 i looked up online there were six deaths in that year and four or five of them were suicides so uh, sentinel high had coined the term suicide high before you guys had even got there and then you guys had to just like live on the legacy by the time you got there like in 2006 and What's just crazy is it continues from 2002 to 2010. I mean, there was you averaged about one suicide a year. If you take those four that happened in 2002, I mean, you could plug them into each year and there's probably 10 to 12 suicides in a matter of 10 years, which is mind boggling. That's I mean. And to think, oh, there's 10 mentally ill kids who are doing this. It's like, no, there's this pressure that people are feeling and there's no outlets for it or whatever. I don't know what these causes are, but the conversations and by having this conversation, it is not normalizing suicide. That's not what we're trying to do here. And I think if you normalize suicide, that's super dangerous, (laughs) but we're normalizing that people feel pressure and, and suffer, (laughs) you know? The tough thing about like high school and imagine why it's a thing for teens is like, it's a very impulsive age. eh? And and I I think both in the case of Tiffany and and Kyle, especially too, is that it just seems so impulsive and that if, if it didn't happen, it, it didn't feel like an outlet of like deep depression. It felt just very out of nowhere and impulsive. Um, and like saying like normalize, but also there's like, like I, I read about like after Kurt Cobain killed himself, there was a little spat of like epidemic um, suicides among, you know, Nirvana fans and, and teens and whatnot. And there's a, the sensational aspect of it, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's the fear of like what's being of what to normalize there. And think what was as an adult now thinking about the adults, at Sentinel and our parents and what they were trying to like figure out there. Um, you have a kid in high school who's impulsive and you see these other kids impulsively committed suicide. It's like, there's no certainty in that environment that like, well, my kid seems fine, but who knows if they're going to just like randomly flip a gasket and 
uh, or whatever the phrase is. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and like we were saying on surface level, these kids, I mean, from Sentinel, like you guys all have vehicles, you guys are all in sports. Uh, you guys all seem to have like parents that are married. Um, you know, just the perception of, I don't want to say easy lives because like we keep touching on the immense amount of pressure that we think that kids feel, but it's just, it's that much scarier when these people aren't coming from absolutely broken homes that, mm. you know, are, are broke or dealing with just, uh, hardships. Mm -hmm. Like that's, what's even scarier for parents. And that's, I think what makes them panic is like these kids seem to kind of have it all. Um, yeah. and they're still doing it. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, especially at a time when you're in high school and you almost feel immortal or invincible mm -hmm. and you're kind of like, I mean, that's part of the reason, like you're, drink and drive in high school and that's part of the reason yeah. you do stupid shit and you think that you know throwing up when you drink is cool and when in all actuality that could be like a little piece of like alcohol poisoning and really terrible for yeah, you not, right <laughs> like i mean time to yeah. stop <laughs> like that's not a good thing yeah and, yeah and you know with each suicide or with each death that was occurring while you guys were in high school, did it ever make you question your own mortality? Like, were you almost kind of faced with like, oh my God, I could die too. Or if maybe this is I not the right way to put it, but if I get I mad, I could do this too. Like, I don't know. I, I never, I never thought of doing it. I was, so, it was, it was so different. So like when, when Tiffany committed suicide, it was like this donkey kick to the chest. I cannot breathe. I was so, so fucking sad and just devastated as putting it lightly about it. And then, you know, uh, so that was February of our sophomore year in high school and then junior year rolls around and then senior year, February of our senior year, Kyle commits suicide and I remember getting that call very vividly as well. And I, uh, we were on our way home from Billings. Um, I was watching my husband at state wrestling in Billings and, um, and my friend had called me and said, uh, she, she said, Kyle had a party tonight and the cops came, we're just driving by and the cops are outside the house. And yeah. I was like, ooh, let me know ooh, who. Busted. Yeah, ooh, busted. Let me call me back and tell me who all got MIPs, on and on. And so then I don't know how much time passed, not not very long at all. And she calls me back again. And I still remember so specifically, I answered and I said, Chello. Like I just so lighthearted about it. And she, I could tell something was up right away. She I could hear somebody crying in the background and she said, he's, he's dead. He shot himself. Kyle's dead. He shot himself. And all, all I said was not again, not again, not again, not again, over and over and over again, not again, not again. And started crying and crying and crying. And I think my friend that called me, I, I think we just ended up hanging up on each other. Like we didn't even finish the conversation because we were so distraught. And just yeah, you were in shock. I mean, it was like PTSD. It totally and, was. And then again, not even thinking about my parents, like, fuck, we just got to this point because with Tiffany, 
you know, when I finally told my mom and dad, I am so sad. They were like, okay, we can deal with this. Like we know now that, you know, months later, and this is the thing that I think it was an unspoken thing. Like after the funeral, you got school and you have things that you need to focus on. Not that anybody was ever saying to forget about it, but it was kind of like, it's like, oh shit, the world just resumes. Right. Like you got to go back to these routines, but just without this person that you. Yeah. You have to keep going. So I think even for my, for some parents and for my parents, it was like, well, the funeral's over. You told us that you're fine. You know, I was like the girlfriend that said that she didn't care if she got flowers, but like, I just want you to know that I want flowers or something, you know, like I, I told my parents I'm fine, but I just expected them to know that I wasn't fine. And, um, so I think that in their mind with Kyle, they were like, fuck, you know, that scared and not fuck like, Oh God, we have to deal with this. But like, they were probably afraid of how I was going to deal with it this time around, because the first time was so traumatic for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ryan had brought this night up because this was pretty personal to Ryan too. Like he was your, I mean, he was your buddy too. And you were supposed to go to this party. And, you know, when you talk about teen suicide being this like impulsive thing, I think it's like you have a big bias towards that explanation of suicide amongst teens because it almost it almost did feel very impulsive and he got in trouble and you know he was having a house party and and then you know like your side of the story I think too it kind of brings out that male's perspective of holy shit when shit hits the fan I guess it could be all over amongst all our buddies you know kind of yeah, well, I mean, it was our senior year, um, and I feel like the months leading up to this, Kyle and I got especially close. Um, like, I, we were in Spanish class together, and his his Spanish name was Jesus, which we thought was hilarious because it's like Jesus, but, <laughs> but Jesus, and I was Cheeto, and it's so like our combined name was Cheetos, and it's like we were like the Cheetos pals, um, and, and we were doing like – and I remember like the weekend, the Friday before that weekend, he was, he was saying he's having a party and he's all amped. <laughs> and we're, as guys do, we're like sitting there and we're talking about like, oh, I, I was working at Hollister at the time. So I'm like, well, I got to work that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, I probably won't make, you know, maybe I'll come over after, but uh, <laughs> nothing up until that point. Yeah. You talk about, um, the, the impulsiveness of it like he because I remember that night I, I went I was at work and I got off work and I was like you know what maybe I'll, I'll stop by and say hi to Kyle and I, when I drove by the cops were there I'm like oh shit and it's the same exact thing like I wonder who's getting in my piece tonight and I wonder how this is going down and um later drove by again and the cops aren't there and then later drove by I don't know you just drive around at night in high school when you have nothing else to do and saw the cops returned and um and like that instantly explained like why the cops returned again and um yeah I, I remember like with Tiffany I didn't know her too well so with Kyle it was this very like, immediate tears visceral like same thing like oh fuck like this shit again but um a really close buddy um 
And I remember my mom called me because she must have gotten the news. And her reaction was like, it, where are you? And I was like in tears at that point. Um, she's like, did you hear? I'm like, yeah, like Kyle. And, she, and then she's like, I could hear her desperation. Like, we'll, we'll come home, you know, like come home right now. And I'm like, no, I got to go to his or Who's house? One of the houses we went to, where everyone like congregated afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to go there. But I remember my mom just like, you know, almost like angry, like come home, you know. Yeah, I just wanted to hold her son. Yeah, like I don't want to make sure you do this shit, you know. Um, yeah. Because probably you, you describing how after Tiffany killed herself and drinking and whatnot, like that's after Kyle's when I had my whatever lashing out, if you want to call it that, or if feeling whatever I was feeling and, and trying to deal with it through booze. And um, I don't know, it's high school. So it's hard to say it's unhealthy. It wasn't like I was like hanging out reds at one in the morning. Right. But it was still probably pretty, uh, pretty saved for the weekends. Like, yeah. But still more than what we normally would do. Yeah. Cause I, I remember, Mm-hmm. That was the weekend and going to class on Monday, um, mm-hmm. crying all weekend. And then you go to class and I'm like, all right, let me just at least just get through this day. And I did good all, all the way up until like Spanish class. And I walked in and the teacher looked at me and she knew that, you know, Cheeto and Jesus. And she just like, we made eye contact and I just immediately just, just broke down and had to run off to the bathroom. Um mm-hmm. And that's the thing that we didn't ever realize either. We felt like we had it all together at that time in our lives. It's still such a formative time. I mean, our brains are still developing. Yeah. Every, every birthday is like fun because you're getting cooler and older and better. And then now we're on like every birthday is like, dude, I'm hurting for some Like, why does my, (laughs) I sleep with a pillow under my knees. I slept on my right side and now my neck hurts. And and you know what's so weird is like in my mind, Tiffany is still older than me. Yeah. And in no, my mind, Kyle so is still yeah. the same age as me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really weird seeing those pictures and on the anniversaries of the death of the birthdays. It's like, holy fuck, that look how young he looks. It's not mm-hmm. my memory or how I view him. I know. Um and that, that, so that was in February and that weekend or midweek, something like that, Sentinel was going to play big sky in a basketball game. And our athletic director, Kendall, my friend, he was a really good basketball player. And our, the athletic director walked into that ceramics classroom and walked up to Kendall and said, so are you ready for the game tonight to him? Like, are you ready for big sky? And Kendall just looked at him and he said, and I, I remember feeling like proud of him in that moment. He said, that's the farthest thing from my fucking mind right now <laughs> to like yeah. an authoritative figure, you know, like I'm not thinking about the goddamn game tonight. Mm-hmm. And once our, so you had that end of administration who I think was trying to like pretend like it wasn't happening. Have a sense of, well, that was the, the weird follow-up. Cause I mean, this is the year we're graduating and on that note, like when we, our, our day of graduation, we had like what the pals, pins. pins. Yeah. You yeah. can see it in the picture that I sent to you mm-hmm. of us. We're all wearing, there's these little circle pins. That was a picture of Kyle. Yeah. It's sort of like a sim, you know, symbol of him graduating with us. And initially the, yeah, the quote unquote administrators of our school, like they, 
they wanted to take the pins off. Um, and, and as they in, were like threatening to it, like, you better not wear like those you're not going to graduate. <laughs> we're like, we're here. We're not going back to school. <laughs> well, what you, well, was, yeah. What are you going to kick? We kick us out of school. Like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. They, 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 I mean, I, as an adult, Either, again, yeah. I, I have sympathy now because I know that um, they didn't want it to be glorified. The understanding of suicide is that, and especially when it reaches that epidemic proportion that it's um the contagious element is like it's a form of attention seeking so if you give an attention who, who you know who knows like if whatever the thinking was but yeah we all they we're all in line getting ready to graduate we have those pins on and they're like we need to you got you guys need to take them off and we i don't i remember like no one said anything we just didn't do it we didn't do it and first again speaking on someone who like was very afraid to get in trouble i remember that was like one of the first times that i was like fuck it was just like wait like i am i'm not worried in the slightest and again maybe it was just me like being realistic what are they going to do but i i was not worried at all and i don't think anyone was and it wasn't even like hey hey don't take your pin off and I won't take mine. It, we didn't it was even very talk unspoken. about it. We they, just didn't take them I off. I think there's that like wave of like hesitancy of like, Oh shit, we should take it out. But we're looking around and no one else did it. So yeah, yeah. the feeling was like one of like solidarity and I'm, you know, yeah. It, yeah. it seems corny and like it, it felt maybe a little bit corny, but like it felt very genuine. Like fuck that, you know, this is our friend. And even that, uh, again, that same Monday, um, Jace didn't go to school. And I think his parents were like, yeah, you know, you can just take the time you need. The school cop pulled me out of class and I felt like I was in trouble. And he was like, where's Jace? And I said, he's at home. And he was like, you know, pulling his girlfriend, because Jace and I were dating at the time. And he's like pulling me out of class to say, where's Jace and making me feel like I was in trouble. And I remember again, finally getting this sense of like, I don't really care if I get in trouble. And I looked at him and I said, he doesn't want to deal with this. Yeah. And I think that, you know, (laughs) I, I know that even when you guys had talked about suicide before, especially with high school kids and being young, that there's everything's about you at that age. And so sometimes you would look around and you'd see people just sobbing and you'd think you didn't even, you weren't even their friend. You didn't even know them. And, yeah, there's and you'd make that. it about yeah. yourself. Like, yeah. you no, know, he was my friend, not your friend. Well, I didn't, I didn't know what interactions these kids had with their classmates and classes that right. I wasn't in. Like, who am I, who am I to say you weren't friends with them? You can't be upset. I mean, it probably yeah. freaked everybody out. And I yeah. don't know. It's a collective was- trauma. Totally. I mean, regardless of if you know the person or not. And I think that's what's kind of being ignored here. Just like that administrator, yeah. like coming up, like, are you ready for the game tonight? Like he's maybe was trying to be like, come on, let's have some Sentinel spirit, you know, like let's try to, you know, whatever. We have a basketball game tonight right. and avoid that situation. But like, they're polar they're like polar opposites like when they're polar opposites of like glorifying suicide but then ignoring it as well like where's like some common ground like if kyle had died in a car accident you guys could have worn those pins on your on your graduation 
thing, you know, on your graduation gown. And they would have had no problem with that. So, but then you guys had already been through some of the darkest times together and had just lost your friend, Kyle. And you're like, well, screw you. I'm going to wear this pin because I don't care what you think of it. But there is, there's like this stigma around suicide, but also a lot of fear. There's also a lot of fear about it because they don't know how to intervene with these kids because they don't want to contribute to the problem as well. So I have some sympathy, but what's like missing here is that there wasn't some like, like suicide crisis intervention happening at the school. Was there? Well, and with all of this, I don't know what the right way to handle this would be. I mean, I, I can say that, yeah, it wasn't right for the athletic director to come in and say, are you ready for the game tonight? When and and here's the thing, this wasn't, he wasn't just talking to Kendall and Kyle was a kid that Kendall just knew they were close friends. It wasn't, Kendall was close to the situation. Kendall wasn't detached from it. So, you know, if it was someone, not that it would even be right if it was someone that Kendall wasn't friends with, it would just, it just seemed even more insensitive that this was a close friend of his that mm-hmm. had committed suicide. And he's asking him if he's ready for the game tonight. And same thing with Tiffany. It was, you know, you can at, at the beginning of each class, if you guys need to talk about things, you can go to this room and talk to a counselor if you need but we're not talking about it in the classrooms and for every debt. I mean, we had a friend um, die, you know, when Trevor died in the car accident, even a couple, couple years later, it was the thing to do kind of in the early two thousands was like make a bracelet for friends after live strong. They were, they were like live strong bracelets, live strong kind of set the model of like, yes. Yeah. And that was just like the thing to do. And even at that time, I remember thinking like maybe, it isn't the best thing to make memorabilia. And I, and I do remember kind of wondering if, if it was being glorified because I I didn't know if people understood that you aren't here for the intent, for the attention you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. these kids get a lot of attention. And I think that kids in high school see that, that everybody was Kyle's best friend or Tiffany's best friend after she's gone and everybody loved them so much and they get all this attention. But mm-hmm. even in high school, I do remember thinking, does everybody realize that you're, you're not here for the attention because you are dead. <laughs> and there yeah, was such yeah. a different tone for me when when Kyle had died versus Tiffany by the, by the second time around, it was the, yes, definitely like PTSD. I was so upset and I was heartbroken over it, but pretty quickly I got pissed and I was fucking fucking mad. mad. Yeah. I I fucking part of the, the grief stage. I remember being at the peak, um, and running on the track and I had a moment like, dude, like I fucking, I just wanted to beat the shit out of Kyle. Like you, you fucking asshole. Um, yeah, like as a, as a guy, like I, I remember talking to a buddy in college and we're talking about like one of the most pathetic things, at least us two, and I'll represent us as being guys in this is like when you're in a relationship, you and you have like a girlfriend and she's not giving you attention. You sort of have that sort of evil thought where like, dude, I wish a car would like hit me and she would feel bad for like how she's treating me right now kind of shit, you know, that sort of like self-harm as a way to attention. Um, which then like, as a guy, like 
you later be like, well, I don't want it to really hurt me. Maybe this is from my foot and I'll just be in the hospital, but she'll feel bad. Like, mm-hmm. but, but it, that does get to kind of the core of like, um, self-harm slash suicide as this like aggressive hostile action of like, you guys didn't appreciate me sort of gesture, you know? And not saying that that's what Kyle was doing at all. No. But it, just no. that kids might think that like, oh, yeah. you'll, you'll be sorry for what you're, what you did when everyone's crying for you. Yeah. Me. And so I, I could see with like the administrators, like maybe they, they recognize that as a pattern of this. Um, and that's what they want to like curtail by like not allowing us to recognize it you know, because it, 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 at that age, um, when you're immature and you have that sort of like that level of thinking, um, self-harm is, is a form of attention seeking. Um, yeah, like it's like the trivial nature of suicide at the high school. It's just it's trivial. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter it's attention seeking and it's like their claim to fame in this world where they felt unnoticed. Well, you know, that feel like, like that when you see people post on Facebook, when they like, there's an accident that happens and they're like in the hospital with like a cast on their foot and they take a picture of it. And they're like, Hey, I'm here. And like, they're very ambiguous. Like, and you have that sort of like, that's my hospital bracelet. Yeah. That fucking asshole's just, you know, using this as attention. Like, I, I do think that's on the same, like, at least adjacent level of like that same psychology of like uh, why, you know, suicide as a form of attention seeking. And um, I mean, again, I'm I'm, I'm not, not to pack meeting or into Tiffany or, or, or Kyle um, or any of the other suicides, you know, yeah. To this, but um, following that was, if we want to look at the contagious side of this, like why, if one suicide happens, why does it tend to like sprout into others? And it's like mini headed Hydra thing. Uh, yeah. And maybe the administrators had the same panic and fear that the parents did of this is happening to kids who seem to have a pretty easygoing, good life. So, you know, maybe where we see insensitivity and them not wanting us to, yeah, promote any like attention or make these bracelets and stuff, you know, maybe, maybe they knew more about the teen mindset at the time than we did. Like, this is going to make kids want even more attention. And clearly a lot of kids don't understand that you're not here for the attention. Yeah. And I remember that also played into my anger towards Kyle was like, we are all stuck here dealing with this whole Yeah. And you don't have to deal with it. Like you were having, yeah, and yeah. I, and who I don't, I don't know what kind of pain he could have been dealing with before that. He didn't seem like a depressed person to me at all. Maybe he was, but in my mindset, I was just thinking you, you did a knee jerk reaction to something and we all are paying the price for it. Mm-hmm. And your parents yeah. are paying the price for it. And like yes, I this said, like emotional nuclear bomb, yeah. event, you know, I, I remember at Kyle's um, funeral, my parents were there and we all, it was such a routine, right? It, you yeah, it you line up, you way, line yeah. up, you line up to hug their parents. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom, I mean, my mom was upset about it and, and she was worried about me, but it, there was this 
weird moment where she looked at me and it was almost like an out of body experience for her that I could see her having. And she just looked at me and she was looking around and she said, you kids are way too used to this. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was the flow. Like you go to the funeral, we all have our bracelets or whatever else. When the funeral's done, we line up and we hug the parents and you just, I think that you could tell as an outsider that we had done this before. And to her, she was like, you are kids and you are going through this funeral routine. Like it's just something that you've done before and that you will do again. Mm -hmm. So then, because if anyone was at that funeral and say they were kind of identifying with whatever Kyle was feeling. They were like, look at all around, look at all these people and look at all the people that are going to be at my funeral. If I do this, because prolonged exposure to this stuff is what makes it contagious. Just like any sort of virus or epidemic, blah, 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 prolonged exposure. And like, that's the same for the whole like Kurt Cobain aspect of what you said. And, and Anthony Bourdain, like suicide rates went up by like 10% the years that all these so of famous people had killed themselves and it's because the prolonged exposure to the media and you know if if Eddie Vedder got on TV and was talking about how depressed he was and all this therapy that he went through to be who he is today maybe that would change the mindset of people but instead what's being what's being covered on the news or you know what or this romantic element of funerals people are identifying with that rather than the success stories and you know the success stories of like yeah getting help and blah 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 it's you're like oh look at all this attention i could get from this negative outcome you know that's exactly what i was going to say why is it romanticized and i'm not saying why do people romanticize it like why are my two dead friends romanticized in my head I don't know. There's, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I, I feel like on the previous time we talked, I, you know, I, I mentioned something how like dying for someone or something is like the, the deepest, most romantic gesture, or it's like the deepest gesture of love is like dying for something, which is obviously a very, in this day and age, a very problematic claim to make, you know, mm-hmm. think about like suicide bombers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking about like Nirvana and the whole grunge scene and much of our pop culture, and I'm not framing this as a problem, but it might be a genuine expression of like, there is something in us that sees it as deeply true or real. Um, I mean, high school, the high school environment is very safely protected, you know, and where there's so much you take for granted, you expect everyone to be there by the time you graduate, no one's going to die and everyone's going to be healthy. Um, Accidents happen, but suicide is different because it's, um, it's much more deliberate, you know, and so there's a layer of meaning there to, to parse out that is very troublesome when you really think about it. You know, and, and I mean, we're, we're, when we're in high school is at this age of MySpace was new and Facebook was new. And so we're kind of seeing the start of like attention really becoming kind of a social currency that now 10 years later is like, you know, it's almost cliche to say it, but like attention is everything and people will do some pretty debased stuff for attention 
Um, and, and suicide. Yeah. I don't know. Not, not to pack this in as just a total like social issue, but, um, I, there's, there's a lot to that. But it, yeah. it plays, it, I mean, it, it plays into, yeah, your brain still developing at that age. And we were dealing with this at a time where social media was coming up, but that it wasn't everything. And you were more judged on your interactions with people face to face than what went viral or what got attention on the internet. And honestly, what would get a ton of viral attention is something that's tragic, like suicide. Mm -hmm. But still, but what does stay the same is that young kids cannot fully grasp that you are not here for the attention. And, and that's something that I think that I was very aware of even at that time. And I think that it played into kind of just my anger at the situation was we will, we will go on and they will not. That's why it's like, there's gotta be some middle ground without feeling like you're, you know, it's uh, glorifying it. It's just, like, I know I keep saying it over and over, but, and I think, you know, part of my motivation of this podcast is just that, especially in a time right now, after this year has been so tough and I haven't looked at numbers, I don't know what suicide rates are doing now, but um, we can't think that suicide is the you know, is the end result, like is the solution to these problems. You know, we have to normalize pain and suffering to some extent to make people think that like there is some other outlet than suicide. I mean, there just, there has to be. (laughs) Yeah. Or like pain and suffering is a, it's the common denominator with all of us. And, And if it enters your life, it's not like, oh, something's gone wrong and therefore I need to end my life. It's like, no, like that is life. I mean, mm-hmm. not to get totally out there, but like the, <laughs> with, with the fucking, with the Nazis, like they're the final solution was called the final solution. Like it, they, like that, that mass death, right. Mass killing. They mm-hmm. called it a solution. It's, it's, it's solving a problem. Um, death is never that, that way of thinking is, is deeply, I think recognizably wrong. Um, but, but it, my, my, my mom told me like over and over, like, you know, don't ever kill yourself when I was in high school and like entering high, like suicide high. She's like, it, it's such a, it's not a solution, you know? Well, I remember my, my mom saying like, I know you can't see past this weekend right now because mm-hmm. high school feels And yeah, she would say, I know you can't think past this right now, but you know, when you get out of high school, there's a whole world out there. And I remember saying, you don't understand. Like my mom didn't experience, you know, high school and the same things herself, but it was just like, you don't, you don't get it because you're not in it. This is my world. And I, Oh yeah. You think they're just assholes. Like you don't, you're being dismissive of my problems. Right. Uh, This is real to me. And even when you like, maybe you feel the same way, Ryan, like when you think back on high school, does it feel like four years? Like to me, it feels like such a longer period of my life. Such a condensation of time and experience. And 
it's you're growing so fast and so much is happening and you're meeting so many people. It's a really odd environment. We think about it, like think about our day to day lives now. And it's like every hour we had to learn so much with so many different people. You had to do that Monday through Friday mm-hmm. and then you had extra like there. It's such a sensory overloaded experience and socially loaded. <clears throat> Um, and there's something really fun about that. Like there's, it's some, it's really cool that like those four years are so packed. Um, but at that time, especially when you're, you know, physically growing and, and cognitively developing and, um, it's a very fragile time mm-hmm. too. And you don't um, realize it when you're in it, you just don't. And of course right, we had so completely different experiences than the kids that are in high school right now, just even speaking on social media alone, Ryan and I, before this, we're talking about how boys, and, and here's the weird thing about both of our friends, they were not bullied. I know no, that that was, were... that was definitely, I, I, I cannot speak on the reasoning, but bullying, I can say for sure was not an aspect on either one. No, Kyle bullied me in, <laughs> in middle school. He called me gay and, uh, and it really affected me. And you know, <laughs> Tiffany, like, like Ryan was saying, she was intimidating, but it was, she I was mean, admirable. She, she was admirable. Yeah. And she, she had such a enormous presence, but just speaking on suicide in general, you know, boys will bully each other in person and give each other shit. And right now for girls and especially high school or middle school girls, if they get bullied at school, home isn't a safe place for them because they'll go home and get on social media. There's zero escape for it. And the pressures to look a certain way are even higher than what they were when we were growing up. And you know, when I was talking um, to my parents just about doing this episode and I was saying how my first experience with suicide with suicide was when I was a middle schooler um, and and the kid that we went to see as Porter with that hung himself. And I think one of my parents was like, oh, that was the kid that hung himself in his backyard. And I said, no, this was his front yard. And they go, oh, no, that was another kid. And I said, oh, I thought that was the kid that shot himself. And they go, oh, no, that was the kid on our street. Like three. How how insane is that? That not even knowing names or anything specific, like we can think of three people right off the bat that were other teen to preteen suicides that happened back to back to back. The kid on our street, I, I, I cannot remember his name, but I remember I was in middle school. He was in high school. I think he went to Sentinel. And my mom was so upset about it because he was such a sweet kid and he would come and ask if he could shovel my parents' driveway. And, you know, they were so freaked out that a kid on our cul-de-sac had killed himself. It, it just should not, you should not be able to have a conversation about kids killing themselves and so easily be able to say, Oh no, that was a different kid. Oh no, no, that was this (laughs) kid. Just, off the bat, off the bat. And like Ryan and I were saying, the other uh, kid that we went to elementary school with and high school with that committed suicide when we were either freshmen or sophomores in high school, I don't even remember this. My mom told me that uh, when that funeral was going around, she said, I remember you saying, I am not going to another one of these funerals. I was, I did not want to deal with it anymore. 
one of our family friends went to that funeral and told us that this kid's mom got up there and said, you boys need to stop putting your parents through this, stop doing this. And it wasn't even a, you know, woe is me or crying or anything. She got up there and said, stop putting us through this. I mean, at your own kid's funeral, that's how you know it is a con- an absolute contagion when a mother at her child's funeral wants to make a point to get up there and say, stop putting your parents through this. And instead of making this about her experience and her child, she wants to put the message out there for kids to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm, seriously. That's yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. God, another like piece of this that just, you know, hearing you guys say is it's almost, you know, when someone dies, you're kind of like kind of claim ownership over them just so you can like figure out why you're so bothered by it. Like someone you might have even just had like a couple conversations with, you might be like, oh, yeah. I knew them from so-and-so-and-so and and you try, you know, you kind of have this claim, this ownership. Right. And like how you were saying with the, um, high school kids, like, you know, Tiffany was my best friend. No, she was my best friend. And then therefore I can be more sad than you, you know, but for some reason in American culture, we have this like comparative, nature about us. Like, just like you were saying, the kids at Sentinel, they had cars, they were probably of higher socioeconomic status. Therefore they shouldn't be suffering. You know, it's like, why can't someone who has a car and has parents who are married suffer, you know, and it's still true as adults. Like we, you know, why am I depressed when I have all this shit in my life and I have all these great things? Why am I depressed? Therefore, I don't know why I am. Therefore, I'm just not going to talk about it and I'm going to tuck it away and then, um, you know, bring it up when it's a fucking bomb exploding, you know? And it's like, why do we have this comparative culture in our society that doesn't allow anyone to feel anything? It definitely doesn't help anybody uh, feeling crazier for having those feelings, like invalidating themselves all the time. Are they, are they less likely to go and get help because they technically from a surface level shouldn't feel that way? You know, yeah, yeah that's not fair. Like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in high school, but I'm good at sports and I have a car and I have good friends. So it's, it's even crazier that I feel this way. So it would be even more looked down on for me to go get help. It's even less socially acceptable. It, it's not helpful or productive at all to say that the only kids that are at risk for this are kids who are from specific social economic groups or, you know, go to a specific school, anything like that. I mean, it happens and it sticks with people for a long time. And just like Ryan and I were saying before we got going too, I mean, our whole class has this weird trauma bond that we, we don't talk about a lot, but it's interesting even for me to hear Ryan's perspective of, how he got the call and how he dealt with it because it, we're close friends. We had the same friend group and we didn't have this conversation of like, what was it like when you got the call? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, I don't know, that linking that thought about getting this information over the phone and being alone, then also the fact that we all just, we all have this trauma bond, but we don't really necessarily, we haven't really unpacked all this and got like all of our perspectives together. Um, and really talk about it too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's not fun. 
it's I, not la- fun. Last yeah. night, I was talking to my husband about it, j- just that I've been trying to think of some things to say. I think I was saying this earlier, maybe that I was like, yeah, I'm trying to, this is the first time in a long time that I've been trying to specifically seek out memories and feelings from that time to see if I can write anything down, um, to talk about for this. And, and I said to him, I was like, it's not fun. And he said, yeah, I don't even like talking about it right now. And again, this is, you know, him and I have gone to school together. We've had the same friends and this, we don't, we just don't talk about it because it it's painful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's helpful to talk about it, but I mean, 11 years, 11 years later with Kyle, 13 years later with Tiffany, I had told you earlier, Sarah, that this is the first year that I realized why February sucks so bad for me. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, February. I hate February. I hate February. And I always thought that it was like a seasonal depression thing or, you know, it's the weather and everybody kind of hates February. And I'm like, well, you know, two years apart in such formative years of my life in February, I got horrible news and I had to deal with awful trauma and violent deaths of my friends that were deliberate. And as a kid, like I had said before, you do, you think you picture them doing it and it's, it's yeah, horrible. That, that visceral image sucks. You you totally picture it it's in when, your head. Yeah. So my my stepdad died in February. It's his really? birthday. Yeah. Um yeah, February is such a it's such a cursed month. Mm-hmm. Just like how you said Jace is like, I don't even like talking about it right now. And I think that's so true for anybody. Like, I think a lot of people would be like, why in the hell would you have a podcast about this This is terrible subject, (laughs) like for death as a whole. But I think that's a lot of just like society and what we've created about death. And that I think talking about it does free up a lot of this stuff that we bury deep within ourselves. And just because we bury it doesn't mean it goes away. I mean, it can increase exponentially in your head until it's just, you know, it's become much more than it had to be. And that's why it's like something that I've figured out in doing all these episodes is if you would have asked me six months ago, if I was afraid to die or something, or if I was afraid of death, I would have been like, Oh no, 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 not at all. You know? But, um, I realized that I was like anytime someone lost someone or even on the news, like if I saw a celebrity who had just lost somebody, I'd be like, I don't even know how they handle it. I don't, I can't even look at them. Like whatever they're feeling is like projecting onto me. And I I can't, I have to be away from it. And after doing these, I've just found a lot of peace in death and, and not because of death itself, but because it's that, we are alive and we can figure out ways to handle these things. And a lot of those ways will be found when we talk about it, when we have open conversations Mm -hmm. and to not be afraid of our feelings. And just like, you know, at school when they wanted to ignore the problem, 
maybe not talking about suicide itself, but talking about our feelings about it might have done something a little differently for the students there. And maybe it would have allowed these students who were like, well, I wasn't that good of friends with them. Therefore, I shouldn't feel sad about it. Maybe if they just were talking about it, they would have realized it would have been okay to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's like the moral of the story here. And maybe some way that we can prevent this from ever happening to somebody, you know, we could be saving someone's life. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, that maybe that's a little much, but I think it's just the whole acknowledging your feelings and it doesn't matter how well you knew someone, if you're confused or if you have feelings about something, just because society tells you not to care doesn't mean you have to stop caring. Well, we all should care a little bit and, and and pain and suffering is a part of the human condition and we're all going to have to suffer in some ways. And yeah. Yeah. And suicide is such a violent thing that, you know, just going back, like what you were saying about kids in high school feeling like maybe they do or don't have the right to grieve over people that they were or weren't close with it's violent and it's scary. And whether you were close with the person or not, I think that when any death is associated with suicide, just like Ryan and I keep saying, I think people picture it and that's traumatic and that's scary. Um, and you hear about it. And I was actually talking to my psychiatrist about this and she was saying that, you know, when you see things or you hear things, when you think back on it, on the memory, it's, it's, you're remembering your experience and it's like you are living it. So it is traumatic to you. Even if you weren't there when it happened, even if you weren't the person that found it, you're picturing it and you're hearing about it and you're living that experience. And that's scary to people, especially to teenagers. Um, it's such a vulnerable time in your life, even if you don't feel like it is, because I, even though it, it it's getting further and further from when we were in high school, it still feels close enough that I do remember that mindset, just like you were saying, you know, feeling invincible. I, I totally felt invincible. I felt like I was young and there was nothing that was going to harm me. And it completely throws you off when you get news like this. And it makes you question everything. And it just feels like things aren't firing right in your brain anymore because you're traumatized by it. And so I think, first of all, just not being judgmental of how people deal with this news in general is, is a good start and that everybody has the right to, to grieve over these things because it's sad. It, it is, it's tragic and it has a whole nother feeling to it than something that's accidental. It feels a lot darker than things are, than things that are accidental. Um, it makes you think back or, or maybe pay more attention of what somebody's mindset might've been, leading up to this. And then you almost take that on yourself. Like how dark were they feeling or how helpless and hopeless were they feeling to make a decision like that? And you kind of take yourself to that place. And it's really hard as a, you know, 15 through 18 year old 
to take yourself to that place mentally and not be affected by it, whether you were close with that person or not. And yeah, there's, there, there's not always an answer to what the solution would be to help this or why anybody did this, but talking about it, even though it's hard and it can be dark, really can be therapeutic and realizing that, I mean, I would think all the time about where Tiffany or Kyle would be. And I mean, I had so many kids that I went to school with, I saw them take on or not even take on a new persona. Really, it was probably them just opening up and finally living and being their true selves once they were in college. Like there's so many more people you can, you can be whoever you want to be. There's some people who are just such background, weirdo, quiet people. They're in high school and you see them after and they're just, they've got it and they seem happy. And it's like, hell yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You can see people really find themselves. I think everybody would say that they, they wish that our friends would have given themselves that chance to be whatever they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Have that chance. And yeah. Um, have a a bit of a sense of humor about yourself in a way that's like dude how fucked up is this shit that i'm in you know Mm -hmm. it's funny and it's like if you if you feel like your shit is so bad that there's no redemption that you have to go that way it's like no later this shit's gonna be it's gonna be so funny like you know it it sounds odd but like some of the worst times there's something funny about it like like darkly so but like it's like do you remember how like fucked up that was like (laughs) yeah because you've grown so much in between that you've evolved and you've learned so much that it makes the situation funny i don't even think it's like dark but it's like look how far i've come that that doesn't even matter to me anymore you want to compare yourself to those who like completely haven't not made but like there's nothing uh on the surface level, like you, if you're comparing yourself to people who seem like they have no struggles and everything's just handed to them and like, there's nothing funny or interesting about it. You know, what's funny and interesting is like the sort of the, the struggle and, and that, that sort of roughness to life. Um, it's this like comically cosmically absurd humor that you're like playing out. It's like, you know, have a sense of humor about it is kind of the answer to um yeah because pain and suffering like we're all everyone goes through something at the end of the day all the shit that you've been through builds character it's stories for you to tell in the future and just it's okay to it's okay to feel hopeless sometimes like that that doesn't mean that you can't deal with that feeling and you have to just end it right there because i think with Tiffany and Kyle, even though, you know, from surface level, they were popular and athletic and had a bunch of friends and whatever else, something happened to both of them that they felt helpless and they felt that they could not get past that specific moment. And so with, with those guys, a situation or with people who have been bullied or feel uncomfortable in their skin or anything else, like, it is part of the human experience to feel physical pain because of what you're going through in your life and those emotions and just feel like you could crawl out of your own skin. 
And I guess the point of this is whether you have all the friends in the world or you feel like you have no friends, fucking ride it out and it will be worth it every single time. Whether you can ride out a situation and move or you find someone and you can get help and some medication, like there are so many different avenues that you can go down that it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so too. And just to have you guys say it like that too, because I think this can be such a dangerous topic, you know, just like the contagion part of suicide, you know, and, and talk, you know, talking about losing Tiffany and Kyle, you know, I would never want anyone to identify with them as an outlet. You know, I would rather them identify with the person who's, super depressed but has found ways to grow and evolve and you know like those are the stories you don't really hear enough of and I think that's you know and I think uh like the success stories or whatever but but you can almost do that for any time like I can look at myself from last year and be like what the hell yeah like what what was I so worried about you know it's an ongoing thing no if anything like with Kyle and t- I mean, and that's only like two people renaming of like a mix, handful. Yeah, a handful of like just Sentinel. Like the absurdity of that is that they're young um, and relative to their classmates, they're pretty well off and, yeah. you know, on the surface level. But like, yeah, as you get older, um, there's there's a greater weight like you, you kind of accumulate light weight to your life and there, there you every year that passes you have more and more shit that you're like weirdly self-conscious about and you kind of settle into yourself and get a good look at yourself in a way that once you quote unquote stop growing like physically and st- you know it's like okay like 25 plus it's like this is who i am and i gotta deal with this like mm-hmm. fucking bag of flesh like this is it <laughs> you know yeah I know. God, it's like, seems like a good ending point just because like, it just kind of wraps it up because again, I I just, I want there to be a silver lining in all of this and to show that like how this does affect people even so many years later, this collective trauma you guys all have from it and people from Sentinel or in the Missoula area or whatever might you know, look back on this time and be like, holy shit, what did we go through? What did we all go through? It doesn't matter if we knew them or not, but that, that was pretty nuts. And instead of just shrugging your shoulders and being like, whoa, you know, you can acknowledge it and, you know, appreciate growing and evolving and, and all the shit that we do still get to deal with. I don't know. It's, it was a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here because there is so much and it is kind of this realm that we don't understand because well, we'll never understand people who do commit suicide, but ah, yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's it heavy is, it's stuff. Mm-hmm. God. Well, my son is just about to go to sleep. He's right. <laughs> putting him to bed. I got to go say good night. <laughs> Thanks for having no, us. No, yeah, I'm glad I got to know all this stuff. It's it was much- stuff you hear about now. It's like brought brought back to life, you know. So, I hope I do it justice for everyone that went to Sentinel. Okay, well, I'll see you guys around, and we'll be in touch this week too. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. I speak dead people is hosted and produced by Sarah Bolstead. Music by Clark Mormon and art by Jacob Allen Dix. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.